This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Ellen Mary Dykus as she shares how to provide compassionate discipleship for Christians experiencing LGBTQ plus struggles. Ellen is an author and the director of women's ministry at Harvest USA. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as Ellen shares practical wisdom on how to compassionately disciple Christians who struggle with their sexuality or gender, but are also committed to following Jesus Christ. It's been a few years since I was at GA, and the last time I was here, I was down at our exhibit hall, our Harvest USA table in the exhibit hall, and I was standing there, there wasn't a whole lot of traffic, and a woman came by. And she saw our, our banner, it said Harvest USA, and she's like, oh, what are, what are you guys about? And I explained to her kind of what Casey just described, that we were focused on sexuality and gender. And her response was immediate. She just said, oh, I am so tired of these topics. And she turned and walked away. And I was a little bit taken aback. I was a little bit defensive, but I get it. And I would bet that some of you do, too, that this is Pride Month. There's a lot of propaganda, a lot of messages that are getting out there. And as I mentioned, even our own denomination, the PCA, has had sexuality issues, rightly, I think, in in most regards, as a big topic, as we're wrestling through how do we navigate these things. Uh, You know, I I labored over the, the title of this workshop, wanting to get the wording just right. Because, as I just mentioned, or as I alluded to, in this cultural moment, and even among God's people, all issues LGBTQ plus related, this is a hot topic. I mean, it would be under-emphasizing it to say that this is a time where these topics are loaded. And my aim today is not to add more fuel to the fires of controversy as we think about these tough issues. No, my goal is really to provide some guidance on how to compassionately disciple, how to get started discipling believers, our brothers and sisters who are experiencing some kind of struggle in the realm of LGBTQ+, but they're committed to following Jesus. And here's my heart that you really need to know as we get started here. My heart set, our heart set at Harvest USA, is that we're not really focused, or we're not really talking primarily about issues here. 
but brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not talking about only doctrinal issues, which are extremely important. We're not only talking about how we're going to navigate this in our churches. I mean, how we teach about it, which is extremely important. But we can't let it get hijacked. That these are discipleship, a discipleship opportunity for brothers and sisters in all of our own churches who want help, who need encouragement. So LGBTQ+, what do these initials represent? Some, a lot of you are probably more versed in this, but it can still be difficult at times to keep up with it all. Well, let me just start by, by quoting from a BBC news show a few years ago that was doing a, they were doing a show on identity. Here's what they said, quote, in Western culture in the last 200 years, we have had the task of sculpting our identity. Our identity as individuals is fluid, close quote. So the idea of the show was this, that this idea of self-sculpting one's identity means that each of us not only has the power but actually the responsibility to decide which subset of our personal life experience matters the most, such as our body, sexual attractions or lack thereof, social causes, uh, your career, ethnicity, your feelings of maleness or femaleness, that each person has, again, the right to determine their identity based on what they perceive to be most important to them personally. So so that's in part where we see these initials are coming from. Now, in LGBTQ+, that generally stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then the Q. Now, the Q is really the most important letter to understand as far as what's happening culturally, what's happening in the LGBT movement, if you will. Q may refer, refer to someone who's questioning their gender or sexual identity but it generally refers to queer, which has become a coverall term for anyone whose sexual inclinations, sexual desires, sexual attractions, or somebody who would uh, consider themselves genderqueer, someone who self-assesses that their gender identity doesn't fit into the binary of male or female. And so the idea is that Gender and sexuality are fluid. They change and evolve. They're not fixed or established. So when someone tells you that they are anything, LGBTQ+, fill in the next blank, or that they, that they are one of what these initials represent, they're sharing something that is really important to them. They're giving you a clue that this is something that is very significant to me and what I feel about me and how I understand who I am. Now, I'm not going to drill down into this, but we know that the Bible addresses personhood and identity with a radically, radically 180 different approach. We're not given the wisdom, the power, or the authority to sculpt ourselves into an image of our own making. No. I mean, Scripture says what? That we are created, identified, and loved by our Creator for His purposes. For his glory, we are male or female image bearers of that loving creator, and that in Christ, we inherit an identity of being what? 
Colossians 3, loved, chosen, holy, sons or daughters of our Father in heaven. Now, those biblical truths, and this is important, those biblical truths are widely understood along the, alongside the fact that while we live on this planet, this fallen planet, with the sin nature still exerting power and influence, all of us are going to experience sexuality and gender with an impact of sin and suffering in our lives. Fallen creation, if you, our robust biblical understanding of sin shows us that every aspect of creation has been impacted. Our bodies, our minds, our, sexual, our psychological selves, our emotional lives, every part of who we are. And brothers and sisters, I, I want to emphasize this because to forget that can result in compassionless ministry to the boys, the girls, the men, the women, single or married, in our churches that are wrestling in these ways. Sin has impacted every part of who we are. So how do we understand Christians that are struggling in any of these ways that might come under that LGBTQ plus umbrella? Well, first, they are brothers and sisters who are working out their salvation, brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, what we're focusing on here are those men and women that they're not surrendering their identity to the world. They want to follow Christ. They are seeking to be faithful, but they need help. So that's one way we understand it. These are brothers and sisters who are working out their salvation like all Christians. Like it says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, they're being admonished, like all, like all of us, to set their heart on things above, set their mind on things above, to remember that Christ is their life, that they are in Christ. And as the rest of Colossians 3 goes on to beautifully describe, they're being called to put on and put off what is of the Lord and what is not of the Lord. But secondly, these are brothers and sisters that are wrestling. They're experiencing sexual desires, sexual inclinations, or gender-related desires that are out of sync with God's design, that go against God's design. Again, we've already kind of established that this is also being impacted by sin, by their own, they've been impacted by the fall, as we all have in various ways. So our focus, my focus today is, I do want to, I do want us to be considering how we're going to apply a lot of our discipleship principles to brothers and sisters who are not surrendering their identity, their identity in Christ to these experiences. No, like all faithful believers, they are seeking, they, they would desire to fight the good fight of faith, but they don't know how. They haven't had the gospel applied to these areas in their churches for whatever reason, or they've not heard teaching on these. But they are seeking to fight the good fight of faith. But they're weary. They're hurting. And maybe they're just unsure about how this is supposed to go as they're dealing with the stress of life that can prompt temptations. And, I mean, we all relate to that, don't we? Stresses of life. I mean, this week at GA, I heard there's going to be 3,000 of us here. That's a lot of people. And I would bet there's going to be a lot of stress around here. What's going to happen on the floor? What, what's that presbytery up to with this overture? Did I bring the right clothes? What's happening at the church at home? What's happening with my family at home? Oh, I've got that meeting with a congregant when I get back. 
and on and on, stresses of life. How will we respond to those stresses of life even this week? Let's just keep this super street level. Will we self-comfort? Will we overeat, overdrink, gossip, slander, spin it? Maybe even go online to unholy places. Now, you might be thinking, Ellen, you're getting a little bit personal here. We need to get personal. If we want to be helping our brothers and sisters in these areas fight the good fight of faith, then we must kind of look at our own lives and say, how am I fighting the good fight of faith? When life is crushing in on me and I'm feeling stressed and I just want to feel something different and numb out, where do we tend to go? I would suggest to you, actually, I would actually more exhort all of us as your sister that if we don't seek to realize that we're all much more alike than different in needing the daily intervention of Christ, we may have, we may have struggles that don't need to be there in coming alongside our brothers and sisters that are wrestling in these areas. We all need the hope, love, piercing and comfort of Jesus in these areas. People like Nikki and Paul, a brother and a sister who are composites of people I know personally. And we're going to walk through what I'm going to share today through case studies, uh, most of which are situations I was directly involved in, their discipleship. So Nikki and Paul. Nikki, she's 32. She's a single woman. She's gone back and forth between attaching to not the L, but the A in LGBTIA, which refers to asexual. It could also refer to ally, but asexual. But Nikki's just trying to figure out, is this even biblical? I mean, I, I don't hear that being talked about. What is asexuality? It basically refers to, and again, this is a category coming more from secular, secular um, definitions, but it basically refers to somebody who doesn't experience sexual attraction. Like, they're not really drawn to sexual activity or uh, sexual experiences with other people. And Nikki, from the age 13 on up, has felt, in her words, weird, different. I don't fit in. Why? Well, when her friends started being interested in boys, she felt left behind. I mean, boys were nice enough. But she, she would say, you know what? Compared to just hanging out with my friends, playing sports, eh, no big deal. So she felt different. She felt other. And that only deepened in high school, college, and then in her 20s. So Nikki came wanting biblical answers for her confusion, her loneliness, and pain, and feeling so misunderstood and different. She didn't know where she fit in, and she, she needs help interpreting herself. Now, what about Paul? Paul is a 48-year-old married man. Now, Paul knows he's not a woman, but for many years, he has secretly wished he was. He's come for marriage counseling with his wife, Kim, who caught him wearing female clothes and also found some pretty troubling history on their computer for their onla- his online history. Now, as a young boy in a house of sisters, of all women. He grew up in girl world. He had very few friends. As a matter of fact, he didn't have friends. 
who were boys. And one day, Paul, in the midst of just, again, kind of a surround sound of just a lot of loneliness and insecurity, he happened upon his sister's clothing in the laundry basket. He was intrigued, curious, and he gathered them up, and he was comforted, he said, by how soft they were. Like a young kid might have a, a blanket, you know, a binky. It just was comforting to him, and he went back. It, it was soothing to him, and it became a habit. And then over time, that soothing became sexualized as puberty hit. And he had also started looking at porn at this time. He's introduced to it by his, some neighborhood boys. And he just wanted to fit in with the guys who were all kind of laughing and being drawn to this stuff. And, but what Paul would say is even in that, with the way these neighborhood boys talked about it and what he was experiencing, even that was another opportunity for him to just feel, what's wrong with me? Because he was drawn to those female bodies, not in sexual lust, but body lust. He wanted those bodies because he wanted to have one himself. His marriage now is in question, and he's simultaneously relieved that he doesn't have to hide it anymore. It took a lot of energy over a lot of years of marriage to keep this a secret. But he also has kind of a terrified excitement because maybe now he can actually pursue what has been for so long just this distant, frightening fantasy. Paul and Kim are in different places, but they both need guidance on what to do next. What do we do? Well, Nikki and Paul need as so many need, this compassionate discipleship, which is what? I mean, what is discipleship? It's coming alongside someone and helping them understand who Christ is, who they are in Christ, how to love the Lord, how to flee from sin, how to understand things like desires, how to have our minds renewed, and how to trust in Christ at the street level of our lives. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to consider... Uh, Really, and I'm just wanting to kind of set the table for you to help get you started in thinking about just some discipleship template, if you will, for our brothers and sisters. I want to consider a a discipleship pathway with two main ideas. One is learning a person's story, and the second, bringing Christ into their situation. And and I will mention that our, our ministry, Harvest USA, we have so many discipleship curricula that really will assist you in taking all of these things much deeper. Uh, a lot of those are free online as a PDF download, and feel free to stop by our table down in the exhibit hall. Mark, uh, our president, and I, we would love to talk to you. So first things first, what is their story? In other words, Nikki, Paul, Kim come to you. You want to you first start getting to know who is the person in front of you that is requesting your help. And kind of, I'm really leaning on Mike Emlett, uh, author and biblical counselor with CCF up in Philadelphia. Uh, His categories of understanding people in three realms, as saint, sufferer, and sinner. So first, you want to get to know somebody as a suffering saint. Second, you want to know what is the nature of their struggle, sin, temptation. And third, how are they stuck? Why is it that they're reaching out to you now? So first, story is saint and sufferer. Sometimes when, especially a son or daughter comes out in these areas, or, other, or it could be a friend or another family member, 
It, it can be the sexuality or the gender piece that just hijacks the whole discussion. But this is just one part of their experience. It's one part of their story. They're a whole person. So outside of their sexuality and gender experiences, what have been significant events? What's been their faith journey? How did they come to know Christ? That's one of the first things I talk about with women when they come to us is whether if it's a wife coming like Kim um, or if it's uh, a woman like Nikki, uh, there's so much shame, there's so much uh, fear in talking about these things. And I just want to get to know about what's your life in Jesus been like? How did you get to know him? But we also want to find out a part of their story. What have been, what's been the relational world like? What have been losses, traumas that they've faced? What are emotional distresses or stress of life that they're facing? What have been their deepest joys? Just getting to know the story of their life as you can, and that, that takes time, but getting to know who they are and what their life has been like. Next, what is the story of the specific nature of their temptation or sin? And don't assume on that. Behind every Nikki and Paul, like all of us, there's a backstory. There could be five years, ten years, decades and decades of, 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 who that, of what that person has experienced that influences who they are, but also this struggle that they're facing. I've already given you some of that with Nikki and Paul. But you want to be getting to know things like how, when, why did they begin to ex- experience their presenting issue? How did it develop? How was it a way that they sought comfort or pain avoidance through these behaviors? What are, again, what are they pursuing and avoiding and why? And what other emotions and desires are cousins to the dominant ones that they're aware of? It's not just about a sexuality thing or even just a gender thing. There's always more going on here. So what's the story behind who they are as they sit there. And so part of this, you want to be exploring beliefs and ruling desires, those desires that kind of control you. Um, What are they aware of that's connected to this? You know, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, the purposes of of a man's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. And I would just say, amen, like, I'm a woman of deep waters. We all are in one way or another, and it takes gentleness. It takes wise question asking and a lot of listening, a lot of intentionality and perseverance uh, to really draw out those deep waters in people's hearts, especially if they've kept these buried for years, if not decades. Once again, we don't want to assume. I mean, one of the most helpful things for me and one of the most humbling things for me has been when I've been uh, sitting in my office in a discipleship session with somebody, and in the back of my head, I'm kind of thinking, oh, yeah, I, I know exactly what's going on here. And I'll say, oh, what you mean is really this, right? Or, oh, you must really be feeling this way, right? And they'll say, Ellen, not actually. And that's always good for me to remember because I can assume as well. Finally, how are they stuck? Why is it that they're reaching out to you now? Have they had past counseling? Have they already talked to somebody else in your church? What's been helpful? What hasn't been helpful? 
Are there books that they've read that have really helped them have hope in this? What are voices that they've listened to that actually haven't been helpful in all of this? How and why are they reaching out now, including, as in Paul's case, if they got caught? And that might be the answer for some that they would say, I'm coming to you, pastor. I'm coming to you, sister, because my husband caught me. My mom caught me. I got called out at work because of this or that. Well, what they might see is just getting caught. We know better. We know that we have a God and Father who ordains all the days that we have, including severe mercies of rescuing us, severe mercies of disrupting our bent to pursue sinful things. And so even in that, somebody might consider they're stuck, they're caught, they've got to deal with this now. We gently turn that into a redemptive moment of, do you realize, sister, do you realize, brother, that the Lord loves you so much that when that came out into the light, that was the Lord saying, it's time for this to be done. That gives hope to a brother and sister that may just be so bowed down under shame and condemnation to realize, I never would have written this script, but perhaps the Lord is up to something in this that I never would have written for myself. So let's look at Nikki and Paul in these areas as I share a bit more from their stories. Nikki came from a, became a Christian in college, and she grew pretty consistently. She got involved in a campus ministry that really discipled her, trained her in a lot of different things of ministry. And she has an eagerness for Christ, and it's, it's obvious. She's pretty active in your church. She has a particular love for the senior saints. And she's got a solid community of friends. She's pretty involved. And actually, people are really shocked when they hear that Nikki is actually an, an introvert because she has such a broad reputation of being a lover of people. Uh, she has a few close friends. Most of them are superficial, though, um, I, uh, or superficial with her family. And her childhood was, in her words, was great, except for this thing that was always there. She said, deaths of relatives and some broken friendships, but there aren't any other huge traumas or suffering of note. As I mentioned, her feelings of weirdness being different started in adolescence, and they've continued till now. She's never been able to relate to her female friends. She's always felt on the periphery of them regarding romantic sexual desires for guys and or girls, for that matter, much less their sexual experiences. Her words, you know, I've realized that it's not that I felt so sad about not having a boyfriend or even being single or even not having sex like most of my friends were in high school. My struggle is more wondering why I wasn't struggling, that I didn't have those things. People would ask me, don't you want to be married, Nikki? Friends would expect me to be really frustrated sexually because I wasn't active. But actually, I was fine without those things. I was enjoying life friendships, and now as an adult, the Lord. But I felt like a freak because I wasn't wanting what others wanted, and I wasn't grieving what my friends were grieving. What do we say to Nikki? Nikki's never felt normal, and she desperately, desperately craves that. She wondered in high school if maybe she was gay because that was the only category that she 
heard that really related to her. I mean, she'd had a few emotional crushes on girls. She's dated guys a bit, and it was fine companionship, but she's never really had any kind of a sexual attraction to men. And she's really only even experienced any kind of a sexual spark, if you will, on a very few occasions. And she's very, very ashamed about all of them. Through a few times, through some long hugs with some female friends, and then through pornography that she's viewed. And pornography of a particular troubling nature. Nikki said that you know, she's become familiar with a lot of biblical discipleship and even counseling, and she's searched for answers on websites, and all, including our PCA CDM website. She went there to see, is there anything there that is going to answer my questions about this asexuality stuff? She never found anything, and I don't say that just to call it the PCA. She went to our website, too, and didn't see anything. So that was a little bit of a humbling thing for me to think about. But she did find answers on a secular website called AVEN, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network. And after reading stories of others that identify with A in the LGBT plus A category, here's what she said. Finally, I read something that describes and interprets me. So she's reaching out now, young 30-something single woman, because she, she just can't take the, in, the, uh, the internal confusion and pain anymore about not feeling normal. Uh, and she continues to have all these external triggers that something's wrong with her. Things like even well-meaning people that say to her at her church, Nikki, your singleness must be so hard. Actually, it isn't, she thinks. What? You're not sexually active? Like, how do you manage that, girl? Just fine, thank you. You must be so excited that that guy asked you out. That's great. Well, it's nice, but I'm not so excited. Well-meaning people, but all these words just kind of, the way they impact her, the way she takes them in is it just sinks her down of, something's wrong with me, I don't fit in, I don't fit in. So in her 30s, she's just trying to figure out, how do I proceed forward? And this was something that, again, really hit me. She even admits that she's actually, in the last few years, as more and more books have come out, she says, I've actually found myself jealous of believers who experience same-sex attraction because they seem to be getting so much attention. They're being cheered and praised, but what about people like me? So she's stuck, understand, not understanding how to interpret her lack of attraction, when it seems like all the world is going after sexual attraction, sexual identity. And she's opened up to a couple of close friends, but they didn't know what to say. So she's just trying to figure out, what does this mean? Am I called to singleness? Am I called to celibacy? Am I broken? Um, She is seeking Christ, but doesn't know how to grow. Now, She's not shared anything that's sinful related to sexuality. She's more battling with emotional distress and with her faith, what to believe. Now, what about Paul? Let's hear more about his story. Well, he and Kim were high school sweethearts, and they came to faith as kids. They were married, and he really does love his wife. He really does in his heart. Now, Kim knew that he looked at pornography before they got married, but it was never brought up again. 
but she didn't know anything about his cross-dressing or that he had these secret desires about being a woman. And she didn't know, as I just mentioned, where he continued to go online up until she caught him. As a matter of fact, they both would have said that they had a pretty good marriage. It was hard at times, but it was good, and it was sanctifying. But for Paul, he will describe for you, as you get to know his story, that the internal stress intensified for him after they started having kids. And there was the pursuit of comfort and sexual gratification that somehow had become connected to these, the female clothing, starting in his boyhood. So what started as like a three to four times a year activity became at least monthly. He at times would even use Kim's clothes. He began then to buy his own secret stash of female clothing. But 2015 was a game changer. What happened? That's when Bruce Jenner's transition into Caitlyn was all over the news. And Paul began to wonder, maybe I can do this too. Maybe I can transition too. So he actually got the courage at that point, and he talked to, he told Kim about what had happened when he was a little boy with his sister's clothes. It was a little bit of a test. Um, she was, she was kind. She was compassionate, but it was. They dropped it. It wasn't brought up again. He didn't bring up anything that this is something that had developed in his life, much less that he had brought into marriage. And so now, 20 years into marriage, Paul's wondering, is the door open for me to finally begin to identify as a woman? I mean, it's out in the light. And he does, he told Kim that he does love her, but would she be willing to live with him as a woman if he identified as a woman? So Kim, she's shocked. She's confused. Um, her words, like, I thought we had an honest, trusting marriage. So he calls, she calls the pastor, and they agreed to meet. Out comes more of Paul's story. Like Nikki, he, he consistently felt very other from the men around him at church. He doesn't have any friends, um, although their family is really involved in church. His words... Quote, I'm actually kind of relieved that Kim caught me, though I know it was hard for her. But hiding this thing, it's been killing me. I mean, if the men in my Bible study knew what's behind my prayer request, which basically I say the same thing almost every week, peace and wisdom in the midst of personal stress. If these guys knew what I was really talking about, I have no idea how they'd respond. So Paul's path has been fueled by what? Remember, desires, beliefs? a craving for comfort in the midst of the stresses of life. There's been gender dissonance, gender distress in his life. But at the end of the day, it goes much deeper in his heart. He's a hurting man, and and he's a sinful man as well, as Nikki is. But in the midst of family, family responsibilities, finances, relational conflicts, feeling invisible, like he doesn't really belong at church, his numbing drug of choice has been what I've described to you. Fantasy about becoming a woman, the comfort and sexual, sexual, uh, sexualization with female clothes. And he doesn't look at pornography anymore. But what he does look at is transition videos of men who have transitioned towards a woman. And that triggers this whole cycle for him. So again, his words, 
about the stress of this. And he said, I mean, those minutes or hours when I'm engaged in this, they're the only times I actually feel at peace and alive. I've tried to bring this to God. I've cried. I've prayed. And no change. And if I'm honest, I mean, I am, I do love the Lord. But listen to this. This is something I've never forgot in many, many years. I'm saying this myself personally. He said, you know, for me, if I'm honest, Christianity just feels like, you know when you go to a bad movie and you've already paid the 10 bucks for the ticket, so you just stay for the whole thing. That's kind of how I look at faith. I mean, I, I do love the Lord, and I'm in. I'm not going to walk away. But for me, that's kind of how I look at my faith. So Paul and Kim are trying to figure out how do they move forward, and actually, can they move forward? So I've just described for you what was a story, story details that were known over months and months of time. But that's what we seek to do with the time given to us. We get to know a person, not only their sin, don't do this, why did you do this, but we're getting to know them as a whole person, their life of faith, um, what their struggle has actually looked like, why they're reaching out for, for help right now. And to encourage you, you know, remember, the Holy Spirit is not bound by time like we are. If you have an hour with somebody this week, the Holy Spirit will use you for his purposes for those 60 minutes. If you have six months, great. If you have a year, wonderful. But trust God. Trust God, brothers and sisters, that he will lead you as you're invited into somebody's story, even, again, even this very week, whether if it's coffee, coffee time or months of walking with somebody. So first thing, who is this person? Who are they uniquely? Um, as, I forget who, who said this, but, um, well, actually, yeah, another ministry leader said, you know, when you get to know one transgender person, you've gotten to know one transgender person. And we would say that about anything, not just sexuality or gender. We're all unique image bearers, and we've all been impacted in unique ways by the fall. But we don't stop with just getting to know them. Now we want to move into the next realm of this discipleship pathway, and that is bringing Christ and his ministry into the situation. Uh, And I've said this, but let me emphasize this again. I'm not trying to go from A to Z in this workshop, but I want to give you tools. I want to give you uh, tools for your tool belt. And maybe one of the most helpful things would be is that you'd come out of this workshop saying, all right, our our church is, is... we have a robust discipleship ministry. Now we need to begin to learn how to bring these areas into our discipleship at our church. Or you might be here and thinking, wow, our church talks about discipleship, but we really don't know how to offer it, much less how to train other people. Maybe that's where you start, and from the get-go, you begin weaving in sexuality and gender. It's just one more area to disciple your people in. So, We bring Christ and his ministry into the situation. Because with Nikki and Paul, we don't want to be um, content for Paul to just get rid of that clothing. We don't want to be content with just getting his computer locked down with a filter or he doesn't have access. We don't want Nikki to just, you know, resign herself to, okay, this isn't what, this isn't, you know, I don't have this experience, so I guess I'll just 
you know, white knuckle it through my Christian life. No, we, we want to help them know the sufficiency of Christ. We want to help them know how he meets us in our struggles. A relationship with Jesus is underneath everything in our discipleship as it is the destination of our discipleship. So I've got a few points here under this. First, we want to dethrone sexuality, gender, desires, attractions, and really anything competing with Christ. This may be one of the most important things to do, especially with somebody that has attached an identity to any of these things. Christ alone is loving, holy, indwelling Lord. We want to bring God and the reality of our union with Christ into the heart of the situation. And this can do many things, but two I will emphasize. First of all, when we bring Christ into the situation, the reality of Christ as loving, holy Lord, it legitimizes a brother or sister's real distress with their inability to change themselves. Like, Paul couldn't just get rid of these gender inclinations. Nikki couldn't rouse herself up to have some kind of a sexual attraction. No, we need to bring the comfort of the gospel to people that Christ alone, through your union with him, is what brings transformation. And transformation looks different in all of our lives. But when we also bring Christ into the situation refusing to let any desire or attraction or lack of attraction displace Christ to be exalted higher than Christ, that also brings the challenge of the gospel because there's only one Lord. And brothers and sisters, sometimes even with our language, without, without realizing it, we can displace Christ from his, in our minds only, I mean, from being who he really is as loving, transformational Lord, including in these areas. I I hope that even from our short time today that maybe some of the intimidation you feel in these areas will be diffused as you see that in Christ we really do have everything we need. So bringing Christ into the situation brings both the comfort of the gospel and the challenge of the gospel to live under his loving, healing holy lordship in all areas. So Christians like Nikki and Paul, who anyone who wrestles with these issues of gender identity or sexual attraction, they're, they're going to they're gonna have to face two key questions. Who is Lord over my life, Christ or me? What will be my truth, God's word or my feelings and experience? But, but once again, I mean, isn't this what we all wrestle with in one way or another? I mean, we all, I would, I would guess, if we're honest, we hold on to what I think we can call private real estate in our hearts. Oh, Lord, yes, I, Lord, you are Lord, but in this area, mm-mm. I don't want you to touch this. I'm not willing to let go of this just yet. Or we might say we, we compromise, we coddle even fondle temptations. And the Lord says, no, all of you is for me. And so we don't just bring this to our brothers and sisters wrestling in these areas. We, we need the comfort and the challenge of the gospel as well. On this point, I really love a quote from Harvest USA's president, Mark Sanders. 
He wrote a blog, um, came out a, a year or two ago, How Should We Respond to the Equality Act? You can find it on our website. And he challenges all believers. He says, have you counted the cost of following Christ to forsake all and even hate, or hate your own life in comparison to love for Christ, bearing his own cross as a disciple of Jesus? I mean, Mark wrote of, of the many Nickies and Pauls who have come to us for help. Quote Mark again. He says, I thank the Lord that he has given me countless examples of men and women. And again, our ministry is focused on discipleship to those wrestling with sexuality and gender. So that's kind of our whole, that's our whole focus. He says, I thank the Lord that he's given me countless examples of men and women who are showing me what it means to count the cost. I firmly believe that I have witnessed miracles in our office that exceed the wonder of walking on water. Brothers and sisters boldly and courageously step out into the storm with their eyes fixed on Christ. And what he says here, I just say, amen. We get regular front row seats into the stories of fellow saints carrying heavy crosses. But here's the key. They do so, how? Through abiding in Christ and through genuine fellowship with his body. Harvest USA, we're a parachurch ministry. We exist to support the church and specifically local churches. Like We believe that local churches and that fellowship that happens in a community is so key for all of us. But I love how Mark um, kind of named that out. It's with authentic, honest, Christ-centered relationships. So what did this look like for Nikki, for Paul and Kim? Well, for starters... Their pastor, after a couple sessions, discerned rightly that they were not ready for marriage counseling. And I think sometimes couples get into marriage counseling prematurely. Uh, the, couple, the, the pastor realized they needed some one-on-one care. So he pressed forward with Paul, and Kim joined my biblical support group, our, our biblical support group for wives, which we have um, through Harvest USA. Now here's what Paul's pastor discerned, that Paul had effectively lived a very autonomous Christian life, even though he was visibly engaged at the church and with his family. But his fantasy life of being a woman, his secret sexual sin, both with himself through the computer, he had basically been allowed to have a very separate world in which he didn't need to trust. He didn't need to lay down his life. He doesn't really need to serve anybody. So discipleship with Paul tabled any of the gender stuff. That was like put off the table, including the cross-dressing. And the pastor went right to what Paul needed about this demand to have private real estate in his life. Paul's response, he bristled. But he eventually came to see that his pastor was right. If he wanted to follow Christ, he needed to surrender control. So we dethrone things, anything that's competing with Christ, but also we want to address beliefs connected to suffering, comfort, and mystery in regards to the Christian life. And that might seem like an unusual cluster of concepts. Let me kind of weave them together with Nikki's story. I mean, we've already seen that she was suffering. She she didn't fit in. She had a lot of internal distress, but what was the comfort that she was looking for? What did Nikki see was her greatest need? She wanted to have this all figured out. She wanted to have a clean, no confusion answer. And she insisted on understanding exactly why God had not allowed her 
to have sexual attraction. And she just wanted to know, like, am I broken? Is this a part of a lifelong calling? But here's where God's mystery has become so increasingly beautiful and comforting for me personally and in my ministry, is that God's ways are beyond our ways. Like, we don't, we don't know why any of us, like some of you struggle with anger, some of you wrestle with anxiety, some of you wrestle with uh, lust in various ways. I mean, on and on and on, we're all different, and there's just mystery in that, and there's mystery in how God wants to use this for his glory. So Nikki's distress, actually, more than her perceived asexuality, was not being able to get her head around it, and that tempted her to feel weird and other, which led to loneliness and discontent, which spewed out an anger towards God and others who felt more normal. And as we dug deep and got to that root, this reality of God's mystery alongside his character as a loving father was a major breakthrough for Nikki. I mean, initially she was really angry at me when I exhorted her of a need to repent of this idol of being other that had basically become another identity for her. But she came to see that, yeah, she had made an idol of being different. So she began to study what was clear in God's word. Again, just bringing Christ into the situation. She began to study who, who is God? What's clear in his word? What is his purpose for me as one of his daughters? And there was a, a fresh joy and even thankfulness that began to grow in her as she actually began to realize that her lack of sexual attractions, she also didn't have sexual temptations. And she began to see God's mercy for her in that as so many of her peer friends were entangled in a lot of sexual sins that weren't an issue for her. And that was something she grew in thankfulness for. Um, And she also began to grow in just a, a tender intimacy with Christ and realizing that he also maybe have felt other as a single man who lived off the beaten path of what seemed normal and accepted in that cultural time. The, the next thing is just grief, you know, understanding comfort and grief. Uh, I think we can unhelpfully overcomfort, but we can also miss the reality of grief that comes with somebody's repentance. And, of course, we honor those that are repenting from sins. But to miss the cost of that repentance can sometimes miss a significant way that God is calling us to comfort a brother or sister. Take Paul, for example. Paul had grieved and self-comforted for decades. And his pastor was the first person to ever cry with him, acknowledging how lonely his, his life had been. His pastor called out sin, but he also acknowledged the pain of his situation. And Paul said, long time after these meetings, that he would never forget those tears. And I would urge you to consider, how is God calling you to uphold the holiness of Christ and bring the comfort of the gospel to those when the cost of repentance is deep and wide? I believe there's a way to do that that really honors Christ. Finally, we want to normalize the Christian life for a brother or sister like we would for any believer, which is an active uh, lifestyle of active faith and repentance. Um, As a sister was telling me earlier today, 
um, from Melissa Kruger's book, Growing Together, we, those that have been walking with Christ, might be like tall trees with these smaller trees growing alongside of us. We're going to help them grow. And we want to normalize for those that are seeking to walk in an area of faith where maybe they've been undernourished or they've never been discipled. We're going to help them grow up in their faith. So without being too simplistic, Nikki and Paul really need the same kinds of things that any of us do in our battles. Yes, we get to know their story. Yes, we get to know the specifics of the gender or sexuality piece. But if we really believe the gospel, I mean, really believe it, brothers and sisters, we all need the same truth of our Lord Jesus Christ applied to these areas. So what might that mean, some specifics? Well, learning to view themselves, not in worldly terms, but as new creations in Christ. And I will unashamedly really uh, commend my coworker Mark's workshop, which was the hour before. He beautifully talked about our identity in Christ in his workshop on celibacy, marriage, or surrender. Um, secondly, the, Lord of, the Lordship of Christ is meant to spill out of our lives in loving others. Um, this isn't only about discipling someone to get over their sin, and not even only to grow in Christ, but also how is God wanting their lives to be poured out? Now, I'm not going to go, we're not going to go there right off the bat with somebody, but I've had women tell me that when we turned a corner and started actually talking about how might God be able to use them and pour them out into the lives of others, that was actually a huge part of their healing and growth in Christ-likeness to realize God can use me, God can take my story, and yes, and Paul and Nikki's stories have been used to bless many other people. And so in closing, I want to just encourage all of you to consider how how does your church, how does your women's ministry, um, how does your session need to keep growing in a proactive uh, discipleship uh, a vision for discipleship that includes these areas uh, in your sermon illustrations, in your women's ministry, or in your women's Bible study illustrations, in your home groups, in your small groups. Um, I'm not talking about this has to be the topic every day or every Sunday, but it, it should be just another part of our day in and day out discipleship for the brothers and sisters that are in all of our churches. So with that, uh, we're, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to close us in prayer, and we are out of time. But I do want to just mention that Mark and I are going to be at our table all this week. We would love to just uh, connect with you, to encourage you um, about situations that maybe you're facing in your church, or if just uh, encouragement that you need personally. And uh, do check out our website. We've got a lot of free resources there, including discipleship books to help you. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces. Gifts and Graces.